Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome back into the On Deck Circle podcast for the week of June 19th, 2023. This is episode 18. Last week was a pseudo episode 18. This is actually episode 18. Alex, have you switched your favorite team around for this week's podcast? You know, you got to keep things interesting. It's a long season in the Major League Baseball and you have to if you you know, if you're going to stay interested for 162 games, sometimes you need to, you know, have a favorite favorite team one week that's maybe your least favorite team the next week and a new favorite team the following week and sometimes you got to come back to the team you know and love. Okay, so so where what's what's your relationship status with your baseball teams of interest this week? I'm feeling nostalgic this week. By nostalgic, are we going back to like the Brooklyn Dodgers? Are we going back no, to we're like going back to my hometown roots? And so Detroit is back in your in your graces. I, you know, you try to leave them, and you just realize that there's nothing quite like the original. It's like the girl you dated in high school. This sounds almost like an abusive toxic relationship you're a oh, part of. Oh, it is. It is. It is. And I have people that would back that up. It is uh, it, Being a Detroit Tigers fan is the definition of being in an abusive relationship. So... It's the gift that keeps on giving. It is. Yes. Well, this isn't a therapy session. This is a podcast. We've got a loaded agenda. We've got four items on our agenda. And so let's dive into our first segment this week. Leading off. This week, we're mixing up good, bad, and ugly. Alex has, sorry, English teachers, good, gooder, and goodest. That's right. And I've got bad, badder, and baddest. And baddest is a bad. It's not a good. No, it's not. Because yeah, some people would say if it's bad, if it, oh, that's baddest. Ooh, yeah. Bad to the bone. All right. So so let's, sh- should we go in reverse order or actual order? Wait, what do like, you mean? Should we go bad to good or good to bad? I want to hear your bad. Go bad to good. All right, so we're going to start baddest. This is the worst of the worst. Oh, boy. Victor Wembanyama, who is, without a doubt, going to be the first pick in the NBA draft coming up shortly. Yes. He we was in New base- York City. We are a baseball podcast, by the way. He was in New York City, which, which he described as just like he's seen on the movies. Oh, boy. He had the opportunity to throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium this week. And let's just put it this way. I'm glad he doesn't play baseball. He threw the ball about as well as you would think someone like him would do in an activity like that. So Victor Wembanyama is seven foot four inches tall. He's a monstrosity of a basketball player. His hands are huge. The baseball looks like a golf ball in his hand. Yeah. He quote unquote threw out the first pitch, bounced it past Clark Schmidt, the catcher who was receiving the first pitch and then proceeded to pick the ball up and chuck it at high velocity into the stands, prompting Yankees manager Aaron Boone to put his hand over his mouth and say something we can't say. Oh, my gosh. It was not pretty. And it it brought to mind who is other better? professional athletes oh. who have given throwing out the first pitch a shot, yes. whether it's football players or basketball players. And Frankly, more often times than not, we end up with cringe-worthy moments yes. from NFL stars or basketball stars throwing out the first pitch. And I'm just really glad 
that the Dirk Nowitzkis and the Kyrie Irvings and the Victor Wembanyamas and the Jalen Hurts of the world play football and basketball, not baseball, because ugh, it was bad. Well, so that's my baddest for the week. And there are you can look, I mean, you look back in the history of the of first pitches, and there are just some terrible, terrible examples. I think Fifty Cent, the rapper, or in the words of Charles Barkley, know, rolled terrible, one, rolled, terrible, rolled one across the first baseline. My personal favorite, though, in the height of the pandemic, Anthony Fauci threw out the first pitch at Nationals Park, and he basically threw it into the dugout. So good. All right, so my batter, second, second worst worst for the week yeah is the pittsburgh pirates last week we were talking about them being in first place they were in the, the surprise NL the surprise the darling of the ball if you will the surprise of the league they were doing really well and this week at the time we're recording this podcast they have fallen to fourth place in their division from first to fourth my how the mighty have fallen the but pirates, that's still that's still in the NFL NL central fourth place is what they're like two games out of first place actually four games okay. they've lost Ooh, eight wow. in a row yeah. they're one and nine over their last 10 so the pirates have not been playing good baseball i love uh, it so i've got something i can contribute to that particular point last night i'm watching um i'm watching the pittsburgh pirates because i picked up uh, oviedo to uh, as a spot starter in our fantasy league and uh, I'm listening to Jim Leland and Jim Leland, uh, former manager of the Tigers, former manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates was like, when they're in a losing streak like this, you don't think you're ever going to win again. Ooh, thanks for the words of encouragement, Jim. Yeah, that's that's a good one right there. OK, so then my bad. So not quite as bad as the Pirates or Victor Wembanyama. I just I, I enjoy saying Wembanyama. Wembanyama. It's fun. Okay. Uh, my bad from this week is a play that happened last Friday between the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers. This was a venerable who's who of making mistakes. So it started out innocently enough. Bottom of the ninth, one on, one out, Mookie bets at the plate. You think you know where this is going. You don't know where this is going. This has been described <laughs> as the craziest play in the history of the Giants-Dodgers rivalry. Nuts. Okay, that, so that, that rivalry goes back a long time. Mookie Betts hits a pop-up to the infield yep. right by the pitcher's mound. Pitcher, catcher, third baseman all converge on the ball. Third baseman calls everybody off because he's got an eye on the ball, but he doesn't really because he drops the ball. The pitcher, Jacob Junis, then proceeds to airmail the throw to first base. Yep. This causes all sorts of pandemonium on the base path. So we have Michael Bush and Mookie Betts are the Dodgers that are on base. Michael Bush was on first base. He's now approaching third base. Mookie has rounded first. He's approaching second. At this point, the right fielder, Mike Estremsi, grabs the ball and throws it in towards home plate. Yep. Michael Bush breaking for home plate stops, turns around only to realize, whoops, Mookie Betts is going to third base. Throw to second to try to get Mookie, throw back to home, run down ensues. Short and sweet of it, Mookie Betts ends up at third base. Michael Bush ends up being tagged out. Rather than having runners at second and third with one out for Freddie Freeman, you have a runner at third base with two outs for Freddie Freeman, who promptly strikes out to end the game. And how many runs did the Dodgers score in that play? None. Oh. They lost the game by one run. And Gabe Kapler probably said, just the way we drew it up. Gabe Kapler had no idea what was going on. He said it was one of the most confusing plays he had ever seen. Longtime Giants broadcaster John Miller on, on KNBR 
called the entire play disgraceful. Love it. It it was a giant dumpster fire. It makes it just it 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 it, it warms the soul because it reminds you that there's a little leaguer in all of us. That's right. And rather than having a little league home run, this ended up being when the dust settled a massive fielder's choice. That's how it goes in the book, and that's how it'll be remembered. Well, things can only go up from here, Alex. So give us your good, gooder, and goodest. So going in the order, uh, good is uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, Showtime owns Major League Baseball right now. Specifically, he owns the American League. Aaron Judge, as we talked about last week, is on the shelf. Jordan Alvarez is on the shelf, which leaves a vacuum for the best hitter in the Major Leagues to be filled. There's only one sheriff in town right now. And Shohei has filled that void admirably. Uh, He's seemingly hitting a home run every other day right now. His batting average is up over 300. Yeah, he's just and he's hitting not just home runs. Every time he hits a home run, they're going like 450 feet bombs. And so he is just taking the league by storm. The Angels are playing accordingly. They've played their way back in. They're solidly in the wild card in the American League. And people were wondering just a couple weeks ago, people were musing like, okay, is Shohei going to get traded at the trade deadline because the Angels can't compete? Well, He's put that to rest. The teams put that to rest. The Angels are relevant. Uh, They're in a big series right now. I know they lost last night to the Dodgers, but they're in a big LA series right now. And so Shohei is my good right now. And um, we have the all-star break coming up, which we'll talk about later on in this segment or later on in the show. But he's going to be a focal point of all-star weekend or all-star week. Yes, he will. So anyway, Shohei Otani's my good, my better. And again, this for your gooder, my gooder is stolen bases. Uh, one of the adjustments or the rules was uh, with the with the limiting the number of times pitchers can check the runners was supposed to you know increase activity on the base paths. And my oh my, have the have 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 has the activity increased? Last year in 2022. John Birdie led the league from the Miami Marlins in stolen bases, and he had 41 stolen bases all season long. As of the recording of this podcast, Asturi Ruiz of the Oakland A's has 37 stolen bases. It's absurd. He's going to have 50 stolen bases by the all-star break. He could quite possibly steal 100 bags this year. Ronald Acuna has 31 stolen bases. Wander Franco has 24 stolen bases. There are 16 players as of right now that have at least 15 stolen bases. I feel like some teams have really embraced the stolen base. Yes. And like made it a major part of their offense. Yes. One team that comes to mind is someone that you're going to mention here shortly. Cincinnati Reds. I was watching a game of theirs last night and they mentioned all of their players except for the catcher are legit threats to steal bags. Yes. And I feel like you have that dynamic with some of these small market teams like the Marlins, like the Reds, like the A's, like the Diamondbacks. And I think that's a really great thing for baseball. And there are guys, uh, I, I just, I, I think it's uh, well done major leagues. You set out to increase the activity on the base paths. I think, you know, you obviously you succeeded. There are guys who get on base now and you just know they're off as soon as the pitcher moves and they're and there's stealing nothing bases. the catcher can do to stop them. No, exactly. And so now 
you got to take that with a grain of salt. And I wonder how Ricky Henderson feels about this because Ricky Henderson obviously is the gold standard with stolen bases. And I think under these new rules, you know, his record, his season, you know, the, the stolen bases in a season record was, you know, a record that was seemingly untouchable. Well, now it's definitely touchable and uh, somebody could really make a living stealing bases and Asturi Ruiz on a very bad team is doing that. However, my best, the Cincinnati Reds, the red machine is back. Ellie De La Cruz is here. Joey Votto is off the IL and that team who just a couple weeks ago was in fourth place in that division is now in first place with a bit of a cushion and they've won 10 games in a row. If you call a half game lead a cushion, they definitely have a cushion. I don't know. They're the, they're the hottest team by far in the, in the NL Central. Definitely. And the Brewers aren't the epitome of consistent right now. If there's teams trending up and down, Cincinnati is trending way up. It was the MLB power rankings. MLB.com power rankings came out. Cincinnati's in the top 10. There's momentum in Cincinnati, and I was just it was it was good to hear Joey Votto say this feels like 06 and 07 last time the Reds were in the playoffs and Joey Votto was in the playoffs. And I don't know, there's something about the Reds franchise. It just feels like, you know, whether it's the Midwest or whatever, it just feels good having them relevant and they're going to they're going to be relevant the rest of this season. And there's a lot of exciting baseball being played by the Cincinnati Reds right now. Here's an interesting thing that that I just saw as I'm looking at their stats. They have a negative run differential. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So so opponents are outscoring them. It's not significant. It's only 16 runs. But opponents have outscored them by 16 runs this year. Yet they're 39 and 35 right. at the time we're recording this. And like you mentioned, hottest team in baseball. And I would argue one of the most exciting teams to watch in baseball. Oh, yeah, very much so. It, it, it's a great combination. They've got young talent, super young talent. They're bringing up younger younger and younger players every day, it seems. They're, the Cincinnati ballpark, Great American Field or whatever, is known for being just a offensive paradise. And so, I, I mean, Joey Votto in his second at-bat off the 60-day IL, like hit one nearly into the Ohio River. I mean, it was just a bomb. Ellie De La Cruz hit a bomb his first career home run. I mean, it just there's a lot of good things going on right now. Uh, you and I talked off the podcast. They don't have any pitching. They need pitching. And so you're talking about teams who are going to be buyers at the trade deadline. The Cincinnati Reds are buy, 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 buy. And we're going to see who they you know can pick up. If they can get an arm or two at the deadline or get some guys back off the IL, man. The big red machine. The big red machine might be relevant coming. coming to the postseason. So yeah. All right. So that is our bad, 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 good, good, good segment for this week. I love it. Let's see what we got up next. Now on deck. And in this segment, we want to talk about the upcoming all-star break. Yes. Particularly the voting process for how we get all-stars for the all-star game. Yes. We're getting close to the end of the first round of balloting for all-star starters. And I, uh, I just want to refresh maybe some of you that don't know how the all-star votes are, uh, how that works this first round as opposed to multiple rounds. So right now there is uh, a huge fan vote taking place. You can vote up to yes. five times per day. Per day. And voting ends uh, 
the day this podcast is being released, it ends at noon on Thursday, the day this podcast goes live, the top vote getter in each league automatically gets to start. Then the top two vote getters at every position and the top six outfielders move on to the second phase of all-star voting. So I guess we were just wondering, we, we wanted to have this discussion. Number one, when did things get this convoluted? And do the fans really have a great shake and say in who starts in the all-star game ultimately? So you look over the numbers and generally they've gotten it right. Generally. My biggest problem is I, I despise what I'm seeing from every franchise, you know, having, you know, ballots for the all-star team in no universe should the Oakland A's be getting votes for the all-star game. Could you imagine like not like even under- Suri Ruiz? No, his batting average is terrible and he's not sh- even Brent Rooker. Well, again, we're going to go back to the all-star game in general. The all-star game still or the major league baseball still has a rule that every team will get one representative. And if you want it to be a story Ruiz or Brent Rooker, it's probably six to one half dozen. The other, it doesn't really matter which one you pick of those two guys. One, either one would make a decent addition to the all-star team. However, you see franchises teaming up with each other in order to like, you know, boost the numbers. And again, my problem is as of at least a couple weeks ago, I think maybe it's adjusted a little bit, but when they first released the initial voting, the Blue Jays dominated the infield for Major League Baseball in the American League. Yeah. So as of right They're now, a good team. They are a good team. Yeah. So as of right now, Matt Chapman, uh, Bo Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yes. are your are your starting three yes. from Toronto. However, this last week I saw that Marcus Simeon supplanted Whit Merrifield for second base. Yes. So the Rangers broke into that infield monopoly that the uh, the Blue Jays had. Right. Adley Rutschman is the leading vote getter for catcher. Right. And you got a couple Blue Jays in the mix for the outfield. But I, I want to say the outfield had Aaron Judge in it for sure. Yes. And a couple other notable. So American yeah, right League now, names. right now, the outfielders are for the American League. Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Jordan Alvarez. Win, win, win. And Randy Rosarena. No. Jordan and Aaron Judge won't be eligible for the All-Star game, most likely. It'd be ironic if they got healthy right before and then played in it. But for example, on the DH level, Miguel Cabrera has 73,000 votes in his seventh. He hit a home run last week, though. Exactly. Isn't he eligible? I get that he's eligible, but in no universe is Miguel Cabrera the seventh best designated hitter. He's not even the same hemisphere as Shohei Otani. I mean, Shohei Otani, I think, is by far the leading vote getter for that. Jake Berger, who's hot right now for the White Sox, is 10th on that list. That just is ridiculous. And it just seems like, I don't know, what what, when you've seen it previously with the fan voting. Now, they've adjusted it a little bit. But with the fan voting, what you see is that the Yankees and uh, the Blue Jays, you know, big market teams dominate uh, the all-star voting. Uh, and, you, and then you have, you have starting lineups that are dominated by one or two teams. Instead of seeing a conglomerate of different players from different teams being represented, you see the concentration landing with, hey, we're going to have half the team, half the starters on for the American League are going to be the Blue Jays, and they're going to be Rangers, and they're going to be Yankees. And that's about it. And then Shohei Otani is going to be on the mound. Well, it seems to be pretty consistent, at least, 
that the best teams typically have the most players at the all-star game. I mean, yeah, yes, that's I mean, true. I don't think so. For example, I didn't see any Mets making the starting nine in the NL all-star voting. No, I saw a lot of Braves. Yes. I saw a lot of Dodgers. Yes. I saw a lot of Padres. John, I mean, a lot of but California you know you don't teams. See a lot of? You don't see a lot of Rays starting. A Rosa Rain is in there. He's fourth. Wander Franco's in the discussion. Start. He's not even first, though. McClanahan's probably in the discussion. Yandy Diaz is second placed yeah, for first base. You're looking at you're looking at a likelihood, a likelihood of no Rays starting in the All Star game. How does that happen? You're the best team. You're the best team by far in Major League Baseball in the first half. And you're not going to have any team, any any players. Best team, but maybe not necessarily. Isak Paredes, and I don't think he deserves necessarily being the All Star game. He's not even on the list as far as best third baseman, and he's hit almost 20 home runs in the first half. Yeah, how's I think it's Luis, a valid point. How's Luis Robert not on the top 20? He was in the discussion the last one I saw. Maybe it was. Maybe this is an older one. But regardless, I think, I think the White Sox are stuffing the ballot boxes. Well, it just it just seems like again, they're um, the fan voting is fun. I get it. It's fun. It just doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day. So I think there's a couple changes that could be made, and, and we discussed some of these potential changes that would make the All Star Game. It would make the process a little bit better. I kind of like what the NFL did in terms of like shifting away from the Pro Bowl being a straight-up football game to being a flag football game and kind of like yeah. maybe not spoofing the game, but doing something a little bit different that's related to the game, but it's not the game. So it kind of eliminates the injuries, eliminates some of the tackling, eliminates some of that other stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. And I wondered if maybe having an all-star game wiffle ball tournament would be interesting. Oh, my gosh. Getting the fans involved having multiple places where these teams would play. And rather than just having two teams, your leading vote getters get, get your top five leading vote getters are the team captains. And then we have fan voting to fill out those wiffle ball teams with hitters. And they also play the field and you can have a starter and you could maybe even like get some of the other triple a double a players that, that are, you know, doing really well. And then like travel around to a couple different cities and over a week have some wiffle ball tournaments. I thought that would be an awesome way to kind of decentralize everything all coming to one city. It would expand the number of all-star availability slots. It would take the pressure off of using high leverage pitchers and starters and bullpen arms in an all-star game when, oh no, we want them to continue starting for their team. They wouldn't be pitching. It would just be a wiffle ball game. Yeah. I think it would I think it would make the game a lot more fun. It would allow the players to relax and actually just kind of enjoy the wiffle ball atmosphere. And I think it would be really fun for the fans to see some of these pros who can mash a baseball, swing and miss at see, a wiffle ball. I'm, I'm, I might be in the exact opposite camp. What I want them to do is I want them to sit down, uh, whoever the manager is from the previous World Series team and whoever he picks to be on his staff, and I want them to go through the roster of all 15 teams in their respective leagues, and I want them to pick the best player on those teams. 
And then I want them to round it out with a statistics driven. These are the guys we want on our team. And then I want them to play. I want them to bring back the all-star game and the all-star game that matters where the winner of that team or of the game of the all-star game gets home field advantage for that league in the world series. I do miss that. I I think that, I think that was the most real. I, I know people, I know some people just despise that, that, that little detail all sports have struggled to make all-star week, all-star weekend, all-star games relevant, meaningful. They made it meaningful and it, it worked because people complain sometimes of like, well, the team that has the best record, maybe they were, maybe they were, maybe they were in, it was an inflated record because of the, you know, the divisional schedule that they played. Okay, well, that eliminates the conversation entirely. It makes the all-star game the driver for who gets home field advantage in in the World Series, which I thought was a great detail. So I'd love that to come back. But again, I don't know. It doesn't work when the Toronto Blue Jays are going to play on behalf of the American League for the first three innings. In Well, to your point, if, the, if statistically Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette, Whit Merrifield, and Vladimir Guerrero are the best players in the American League at their respective positions. Yes. Then that's what you should have. You should have a game dominated by Blue Jays players. So right. I feel like, you know, I feel like MLB's trying to split the gap. And I think what we're trying to say is we feel like the gap is broken. Like either go either make it fun. Yes. And, and the game has no meaning. Yes. And maybe we just even move away from traditional baseball to something more along the lines of a wiffle ball well, tournament. I, for or, the wiffle ball, like I enjoy, like one of the most one of the things I enjoy the most after the home run derby is watching the celebrity slow pitch softball game. I love watching that. That's Dude, probably slow pitch softball would be great. That's probably the that's probably the most fun activity. Like I stay I stay up late usually every year watching that game. And there's a lot of entertainment that comes out of that. There is. It'd be awesome to see some see more former players, more current players and something like that. But what you also have to take into, take into consideration is I think most of the league that's not in the all-star game, they do look at this as a break. Yeah. And it's like, I can go home for a week you can hang out with my family and they chill can, at the beach. Exactly. Go on vacation, a general, a real vacation. And so, you know, a multiple, a multi city format I see as difficult but I think there are there are solutions that are out there and yeah. they have to figure it out. All right. Let's see what we're going to talk about next. In the hole. Alex, I have a question for you. Yeah. How much do managers actually manage today's game? I'm afraid the answer to that question is not as much as maybe we'd like to think they do. I think that's how both of us feel. And we want to kind of talk about that a little bit because I've titled it, this segment, if you don't mind, managers being managed. Ooh, I yeah maybe that kind of sums it up it almost sounds like managers in today's game have morphed from being managers into being puppet managers yeah so let's let's provide some context for why we're we're going down this path so it's uh, the giants are notorious for the statistics drivenness of their organization yep their bullpen is used almost mechanically based off of statistics and splits and matchups yes we could list off numerous players who don't see regular playing time because of matchup-based splits. So, for example, the Cincinnati Reds have a ton of outfielders. They don't play every day because it depends on whether they're facing a right-handed or left-handed pitcher that day. Yes. Some of the left-handed outfielders who are excellent don't play every day 
they only play when they're facing right-handed pitchers. This came to a head uh, earlier this week. The Braves and Phillies were playing together. Yep. Citizens Bank Park, Ranger Suarez, Spencer Strider, both pitched amazing games. The game got into the bullpens in the seventh inning, and the Philadelphia Phillies, who have a very good bullpen, trotted out Jeffrey Hoffman. Jeffrey Hoffman is no slouch. However, Jeffrey Hoffman is not Gregory Soto. He's not Sir Anthony Dominguez. He's not Jose Alvarado. And at the time, the game was tied 1-1. Division rival, if you're going to get to the top of the division, you got to get past the Braves. Yes. And, or if you're in the case of the Phillies, three other teams. And Tom McCarthy and John Cruck wondered aloud, oh, I wonder why they're bringing in Jeffrey Hoffman. Jeffrey Hoffman proceeded to give up three runs. The Phillies ended up losing the game 4-2. to two. And I wondered to myself, why didn't Rob Thompson bring in a better bullpen arm for the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings? Well, come to find out, there were a number of relievers who were quote-unquote unavailable for the game. Okay, well, they must have had a really long, drawn-out, bullpen-heavy game the day before, except they were off the day before. Dun, dun, dun. They didn't play the day before. So wait a minute. So, so we gave some of our highest leverage bullpen arms two days off? What in the world? So is that a Rob Thompson move? Is that a Rob Thompson move? Is that a general manager move? Yeah. Or is that the real manager, the analytics department move? Yeah. I think you're seeing an increased role of general managers having a greater say and front office executives having a greater say in how games are being played. And then you also have that horrible, horrible binder, which tells people this is what we do when we're in this particular situation. And it's not just a baseball problem. You see it in football now too, where it's like you have guys who are, you know, they're coaching the team, but they're coaching according to the book and the book tells me what to do. And I'm like, well then how far away are we from like AI managers? If it's like, if, if, you know, if Rob Thompson and AJ Hinch and Snitker and, you know, Aaron Boone and all these guys, if these guys aren't, are they, if they're increasingly not allowed to inject their personality, their knowledge of their own team, their, their knowledge gut. of their players, their gut, then what's the point of having a manager? Yeah. And I think you both, you and I are frustrated with that. And again, I'm going to use a lesser example that we talked about before the, we began recording. You know, Kerry Carpenter is the outfielder for the Detroit Tigers and the Tigers are not a good team, but Kerry Carpenter is a young player. He's 25 years old. He spent the last you know 20 days or whatever on the IL. He's back from the IL and all he's done in the last 10 days is he's batting 420. Well, it's pretty good. By golly, they play. They're playing the Royals, and the Royals had a lefty on the mound. And the Royals don't have good lefties. They have they lefties with elevated ERAs. Well, Kerry Carpenter can't play against them because he's a lefty. And I'm like, well, how's the guy ever going to learn to hit lefties if he doesn't get reps against lefties? And it seems like, man, when you're batting 420 and you're playing the worst team in the league, maybe now is a good time to give him some reps against a left-handed batter. It's a really good point, but nope. The analytics says we don't do that. So he sits and, you know, oh, guess what? The Tigers scored zero runs yesterday. So I guess Kerry Carpenter said, you know, they could have scored zero runs with Kerry Carpenter in the lineup. He doesn't have good splits against left-handers. That's what we hear. That's what we hear. And it's like, yeah, this, yeah, and I get that. And I get that. But again, unless you have a large sample size, 
you know, Joey Gallo doesn't have good splits against lefties. Does Joey Gallo have good splits against any pitching? Well, exa- exactly. And it's like, but you have to at least establish the sample size before you're like, yeah, the rookie, he can't play. Well, I think a lot of this is coming from double and triple A. Uh, undoubtedly it is. I think, I think we're past the time that you and I wish was still in baseball, which was you had an everyday player at yes. every position unless they were hurt or unless they needed a day off. Yes. And it feels like now, particularly with outfielders, the outfielders are in a perpetual uh, merry-go-round of playing. They play on days when, you know, if they're right-handed hitters, only left-handed pitchers are pitching because the splits tell them to. I feel like we're coddling good players yes. and padding their numbers by only letting them play in favorable matchups. Yes. Let them demonstrate that they are, in fact, amazing hitters by their ability to hit right-handed pitching if they're a right-handed batter. Well, and I think it's an interesting thing, too. Like, in a day not too far from now, it'll be a small group of people that remember, like, the Jim Lelands of the world that we're managing. I mean, I just... Gone are the days where you'd have Jim Leland sprinting out of the bull, uh, the dugout to go get a pitcher, and then actually, and then him coming out and actually then dialoguing with his pitcher, "Hey, how you doing?" And you know, Justin Verlander turning him around and saying, "I'm not coming out yet. I'm still good. Okay, yeah. you're still good." Like those days are just going to be ancient history, not too long, because well, the decision's been made. We're pulling him out. We know what's going on. We've already made the call. We're not feeling out our players. We're not knowing. And it's like. Third time through the order. Exactly. It's time to it's time to make the move. The book tells us to make the move. And again, it just I don't know. It just it continues to diminish the I don't know the connection that we have. You know, baseball is about players and about you know, kind of I don't know, just working together as a team, knowing each other, knowing the different parts. The managers there to kind of police that and manage the personalities and the 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 health and the whatever of the of the skills of the different players. Well, no, the binder does that now. That's right. All right. So we move from that discussion to our final segment this week. Batting cleanup. We want to quickly look at some intriguing matchups for this weekend. Quickly. There are a ton. I have three. I've got four. Ooh. Let's see if we have the same. So my first one that is intriguing to me is the Diamondbacks and the Giants. Ditto. Yes. Here's why. Because Arizona's in first place. Yes. But don't look behind you because here come the Giants. The Giants are there. The Giants are one of the hottest teams in baseball. Yes. They're playing really great baseball, and they are going to play some games together this weekend, perhaps for first place in the NL West. Yes. So that's an intriguing matchup. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some great games to watch. I I told you earlier today, San Francisco, they're the team that they play on the West Coast, obviously, and we're going to bet on the East Coast. But... They're the team that three of the last four nights I've gone to bed, they're losing. I wake up in the morning, and guess who won? The Giants won. Yeah. Exciting, exciting matchup. Uh, Second matchup that I'm looking forward to, Astros-Dodgers. Yep, two for two. Here's why. Former World Series matchup, correct? Yes. Two great teams. The Dodgers, last time they were home, did not have a good homestand. Nope. They're flailing. Lots of injuries. Lots of rookie call-ups who are playing for them right now. 
The Astros are a good team. They're going to have the heart of their rotation pitching against the Dodgers this weekend. Yes. And it'll be interesting to see if the Framber Valdez's and Christian Javier's of the rotation, how they fare against the Dodgers lineup that still has some punch, yep. but not as much punch. Although Max Muncy's coming back this weekend. Max Muncy, the guy batting 181. The man who only hits home runs. I hit dingers. And that's all. All right, third matchup. Okay. Let's see if we got this one. If I can go three for three. Braves, Reds. Three for three. Dude. Three for three. Hottest team in baseball. Yep. Against maybe the most complete team in baseball. Yes. Did you want... Okay, just a quick note on the Braves. I felt I felt so bad for the Rockies. They played the Rockies are not a good team, but I think in every game, at least in two of the three games they played this last weekend, the Rockies got out to leads. And in one game, they got out to a big lead. And then the Braves just come storming back, sweep the series. It just was deep lineup, deep rotation, deep bullpen, great manager. They just Uh, keep coming at you. Yeah, there were several, several people I've read this week that said the Braves in their minds were maybe not the best team in baseball, but the most complete team in baseball. If Cincinnati wants to be relevant in the National League, they have to show they can compete with the Braves. Yeah. Because they might be able to win the NL Central, okay, and sneak into the playoffs. But this could be a massive confidence boost. You get the Braves at home. If you can win two out of three against the Braves. That'd be great. Ooh. All of a sudden, you start to you know that you start to really believe that maybe we might have something special here. So, yeah. All right. So what's your fourth? Now matchup? the only other one is uh, you know again the Rangers go to New York and they're with you know they play the Yankees this week and so that's uh, the second best team in the American League in the Rangers and they are solidly in that second position. Their run differential plus one fifty five or something like that plus one fifty three. It's pretty absurd. It's crazy. They just mash and mash and mash. And the Yankees, they're still, they, you know, every team in that division has a winning record, but they're teetering with Judge out. They've got a lot of young guys that are being, that are, that are playing. Brian Cashman, the general manager, is like, hey, we're not making any moves. We're going to just wait for guys to get healthy. Well, you hope that there's still something to chase down when everybody does get healthy. And so, you know, to get swept by the Rangers would be tough for the Yankees to swallow. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but it's a, it's an intriguing matchup of two teams with now high expectations yeah. uh, for the American league. I, I have considered that one as well. I think the reason why that would be the lesser of the four in oh, my yes. mind yeah, yeah, is yeah. judges hurt. A lot of other regular Yankees are hurt. Yes. Like Nestor Cortez is out with, he's going to need shoulder surgery. Rodon hasn't pitched an inning for them yet. Stanton is batting a paltry like 181 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Josh Donaldson's barely pulling 150. So I'm, I'm looking to myself at that matchup. Yes, on paper, it's a great matchup. I just I could see things getting real ugly in the Bronx this well, weekend. And with that's the why and that's why I highlight it, because if it does turn into a bloodbath and the Rangers pound them all weekend, now all of a sudden the Yankees are like real close to 500 and all of a sudden yeah we're not six seven games over the 500 mark we're right at 500 and all of a sudden New York kind of becomes a second a back burner storyline which is not ever where the Yankees want to be it's a good point it's a good point anyway all right so those are some of the matchups that we're looking ahead to this weekend we'd love to hear from you about uh, some matchups some games that you've watched recently that have been intriguing 
and any future topics you'd like us to discuss. Maybe you want to know some more about the history of the All-Star Game. Maybe uh, there's some other topics on your mind. Feel free to reach out to us through our Twitter or Facebook pages. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some of your feedback. And please feel free to share this podcast with others. Let them know about this weekly conversation that we have about baseball. And uh, we're looking forward to coming to you next week. And until then, we're out of here.